Hi, I'm George Bathgate, and welcome to the second episode of The Accidental Curator. It's November 22nd, and I'm recording this from my home office in Kitsilano, Vancouver. Um, If you're a friend listening in or have dropped by to check out the podcast, you may know that I divide my time between Vancouver and Maine Island, where I've been running Shavasana Art Gallery Cafe for the past seven years. As I decided to close the gallery this year because of the pandemic, I've launched this podcast as a way to stay connected and give myself a new creative project to work on. Um, My intention to do most of my recording at my gallery is being curtailed right now because of the severity of the second wave of the pandemic, which we are currently in. Um, Recently, provincial and federal governments have put forth some new guidelines which encourage people to limit non-essential travel in the region. And our island doctor has just released a plea, and I quote, to please don't leave or visit Maine Island unless it's absolutely essential to do so. So that seems pretty clear. Kitsilino it is. So for the time being at least, I'll be producing episodes at my home office, which is not such a bad thing as I do live in a sweet neighborhood with easy access to shopping and beaches, so it's not a bad place to ride out the pandemic. And I installed a hummingbird feeder outside my window and put seeds out for other birds, which gives me a little avian drama during these dreary, monochromatic Vancouver winters. And I've counted about eight different species of birds showing up from little wrens, chickadees and sparrows to stellar jays, woodpeckers, and the ever-present crows and seagulls. And black and gray squirrels show up to pilfer the food daily and fight with each other for their fair share. Now, it's amazing how far they can leap when they are being chased. And these are all my little friends during COVID isolation. They, They add some life to the backyard. And like I say, the gray, rainy days. And it's not so crazy urban busy here that I need to worry about noise issues while I record. And uh, I've also been a little slow getting the second episode out while I've been dealing with some of the complexities of domain name registration, podcast artwork, and finding a good host for this new project. And everything else that life in the current era throws at you. It's a busy life. And I've been laboring somewhat over the direction and content for new episodes, including this one. As I mentioned in my introductory first episode, The Accidental Curator will be largely powered by interviews and stories. Now, I think the interviews are fairly self-explanatory. I'll reach out to interesting people I know and interview them. And you, dear listener, can listen if you so choose. And my intention with the stories, however, is uh, slightly different. It's twofold. I have a body of short stories that I've written and will continue to write that I will be reading on the podcast, and I'm going to identify these in the podcast episode title as, now wait for it, stories, okay? Uh, The other stories will have more of a narrative thread, more continuity as part of a larger ongoing stories, and I'm going to identify these as chapters. So a lot of this material will come from journals I've kept or blogs I've written on my websites, but will also contain new stuff, fictional characters, places, and events. So a kind of semi-autobiographical fiction or roman à clé, 
as it is known, which you know, which basically gives me some creative license and some kind of plausible deniability too. So the chapters will form the actual story behind the accidental curator. Okay, so enough with the background chit-chat. Here's today's episode. It's called Finding Shabasana, Chapter 1. It's May 22nd, 2013, and the rather long and arduous Goldilocks quest for a rural property will soon bear fruit. I'm on a solo cycling trip through the Gulf Islands to check out lifestyles and amenities on each of the five major islands and to get a feel for the various communities residing there. Galliano just felt a little too close to Vancouver, and as an avid cyclist, I wasn't fond of the layout of its road system. Salt Spring was a little too big and too busy. Rumors of traffic congestion and narrow roads made cycling sound awkward and unpleasant. Saturna, although beautiful, was too far away, sparsely populated, and had few amenities. And Pender Island was a contender, but when I finally arrived on Maine, the fates intervened, the stars aligned, and my Goldilocks quest was over. Maine Island felt right. It felt like home. And it almost didn't happen. The prior eight years had been a rather arduous and grueling journey of tragedy, misfortune, alcoholism, and recovery. And one attempt at relocating outside of Vancouver Island on the Sunshine Coast in 2011 had crashed and burned. And my realization then that I would need to gain my sobriety before embarking on this solo rural life would prioritize a year of dedicated recovery in Vancouver before I could recommence my search for a rural property. Even the process of gaining sobriety would ultimately feed me an obstacle on this quest for a simpler country life. Within a month of quitting drinking, I began having seizures which would eventually be diagnosed as transient epileptic amnesia. Now, this condition prevented me from driving for a year and modified my out-of-town search greatly. Without knowing what the eventual outcome might be, I had no way of knowing if I would ever be fit to drive again. My property search was limited to places within walking or cycling distance of the ferry terminus on each island, which explains why I was on this current bike excursion. Although I loved cycling, it was suggested that I not drive until I was six months seizure-free. So bikes it is, and that's not a problem. The first thing I had to do was learn how to navigate the Vancouver transit system with my bike. From my point of departure in Kitsilino, it's a four-part journey to get to Maine Island. First, the Beeline bus down Broadway at 8 a.m., transfer onto the Canada Line at Canby, exit at Bridgeport Station to catch the 9 a.m. bus to Tsawasan in order to catch the 9.55 Queen of Nanaimo ferry on its milk run through the Gulf Islands, destination Main Island. It's a gorgeous one-hour and 40-minute journey through Bliss, unless there are crippling windstorms, but more about that later on. Little did I know at the time that this would become my weekly commute for the next seven years. Now, Main Island is, like most of the Gulf Islands, a hilly proposition for cyclists. As a friend has observed, islands are the tops of mountains. If they were flat, they'd be reefs. 
As you leave the ferry, your first task is to climb a rather steep hill to exit the terminus. My first destination on this day was to check in at the Springwater Lodge, a short, undulating 10-minute jaunt to the village. Now, as I sped down the hill, which approaches the village on my trusty old Peugeot, I spied a cute commercial cottage on the left-hand side of the road, which, to my eye, looked like an appealing little coffee shop. I decided to pull in and grab a coffee and get my first sense of the community, as coffee shops and small villages can be wonderful locales to pick up on the gossip and learn of the goings-on of island life. As it turned out, the business was vacant, a hair salon called Main Cuts, which had occupied the space for the past decade, had just closed its doors within the last several months. The for lease sign indicated a monthly rent of 550 bucks, cheap by Vancouver standards, and said to call Dave for further info. Now, friends who are unquestionably smarter than I had suggested it might be wise to rent before purchasing to try living in the rural setting prior to buying to see if I was cut out for island life. And as it turned out, this little commercial cottage, which held great visual and locational appeal, was also dual zoned residential. I could live in it as well. Although my original intention was just to rent a cottage as a residence, not run a business, I found the concept unexpectedly appealing. Artist in residence was the first thought that came to mind. Yeah, perhaps I could use this space as a studio for my ceramic mask making and other creative projects I had pending. I'd have to call Dave, the landlord, to discuss. At this point, I was in no hurry. I had an island to explore, and the call to Dave could wait. Although Maine felt good, I still needed to explore its nooks and crannies to determine its suitability for my needs. I checked in at the Springwater Lodge, which is the oldest continually operating hotel in BC, where I'd be staying on this two-day adventure. At the time, the rooms above the pub were available for 40 bucks a night. Rustic and worn, it very much felt like staying at a youth hostel. There was a shared bathroom, shower, and the rooms were only lockable from the inside. Don't worry, nothing ever gets stolen here. Maine Islanders are very honest, Tessa, the affable barmaid, assured me. And as quaint as this reassurance was, years of urban conditioning had taken its toll. It involved a leap of faith to leave my stuff in an unlocked room. But it was charming and I loved it. The strength of the Springwater Lodge lies in its restaurant pub, and the outdoor deck, which may be the sweetest place in B.C. to grab a meal and watch the sun go down. Almost everything that I saw on these initial trips to Maine Island charmed me. Perhaps I was looking at the world through the rose-colored glasses of those new to sobriety. But in fact, so much of what I saw and whom I encountered fed my enchantment. The village itself is small, perhaps a collection of a dozen-plus businesses, which reflects its rather intimate yearly population of roughly a thousand good citizens. It seemed to have everything one needs to cover the basics. Three grocery stores, a liquor store for those so inclined, a gas station, three restaurants, a gaggle of unique shops, ubiquitous realtors, 
and a fabulous little bakery that opened sprightly at 6 a.m. every day. Some remaining heritage buildings from the late 1800s give it a comforting sense of community and continuity. Other island amenities include a lending library, a hardware store, a community center, and a second retail gathering in the middle of the island known as the Fernhill Center. If I was going to rent the little vacant cottage business from Dave, I would become part of the village. Now how cool is that? Perhaps the greatest appeal of Maine, though, is its natural beauty and outdoor amenities. I would later discover that its citizens are yet another wonderful attribute, but that would come later. The Gulf Islands are a uniquely beautiful microclimate, which has been compared to the Mediterranean for its low precipitation and above-average warmth. As I cycled around this tranquil rock, I encountered dense rainforest woodlands, pastoral heritage farmland, rare stands of Gary Oak and Arbutus, and a beautiful selection of bays and beaches to toss down a blanket and make an afternoon of it. There are some fabulous parks with great hiking opportunities, a heritage photo op lighthouse, Mount Park with its mesmerizing vistas and an unexpected treasure, the well-tended Japanese gardens. The fauna are equally varied and enchanting. Deer abound, both the indigenous blacktail and the pernicious fallow. And in fact, the wildlife is just too plentiful to write up in this article, so I won't try. Whether in the ocean, in the air, or on land, if you choose to live on a Gulf Island, you'll be living in nature, not just alongside it. It kind of envelops you in a charming and therapeutic way. My brief Maine Island excursion was drawing to a close, as I had obligations back in Vancouver. Of the many properties, hamlets, and rural communities that I had visited over the last five years of this quest, just like Goldilocks and her porridge, this one tasted just right. I had Dave's number and would call him to find out the scoop on the vacant business. Shortly after I returned to Vancouver in late May of 2013, I called the landlord to find out more about the situation on Maine, ask questions and gather a bit of info. The building was indeed zoned commercial residential, which covered my need for accommodation on the island and gave me the possibility of opening a little business, making a little cash, and having a cool project to work on. It was a 10-acre waterfront parcel with four additional cottages that were rented out, either long-term or for summer vacation rental. John Collinson, one of the original settlers from the mid-1800s, is buried on the property with his First Nations wife, several ill-fated children, and reputedly has growing on it the oldest apple trees in BC, making this particular piece of land significant from a heritage perspective. Ideas for a business, although unformed as yet, were germinating. What could I do there? As I was completely bereft of skills, talents, aptitudes, or business acumen, my first thought was, artist studio. As I was also at the time completely devoid of motivation, drive, or work ethic, my other embryonic idea was self-serve coffee bar. Now, these two ideas would have to fall into bed together and germinate further so I could convince the landlord that I actually had a business plan and was not just another flaky guy 
wanting to open up an art studio cafe. I arranged to meet Dave, the landlord, back on Maine in early June for mutual reassurance. As I reread my journal during the early days of this exploration, I'm struck by two things. My wide-eyed interpretation of simple encounters as a kind of magical projection of wonderment. For example, a woman carrying a basket of cilantro down a dusty country road would take on almost mystical qualities. And the ongoing internal struggle between the two halves of my psyche as I weighed the pros and cons of this decision, uncertainty versus impulsive commitment, indecision versus strong desire, I was having a dialogue with myself on the pages of my journal as I sorted out my internal tendency to overthink. Problems versus possibilities. I quite literally rejected the whole concept three times before I would ultimately commit. Blessedly, magic and visceral pull would eventually win out over fear and indecisiveness. But we're not there yet. The June 12th meeting with Dave went well. As it turned out, we had worked together as young guys in the 70s. So there was a decent cordial recollection of being work chums from another era. Even this diminishes some of the misgivings and creates hints of inevitability. I managed to get inside the space, take some measurements, and do some imaginings of what it may become under my tutelage. The cottage is petite, around 600 square feet, with a cool front porch and ground-level rancher-style access. The windows are plentiful heritage multi-pane with lots of light and stellar sight lines. The best view is of Galliano Island, an active pass through which all of the regional ferry traffic travels. The kitchen and bathroom are small but adequate, and as an out-of-town part-time dwelling, it works magnificently for my needs. Its suitability as a business, though, will be determined by the appropriateness of my ideas and the efficacy of my plan, which does not yet exist. Although my journal entries give an early indicator of art, cycle, website, sculpture, cafe, thing. I'm good at vague. As these are my early days exploring Maine Island, I was still in need of further convincing that this place had what I was in need of, what I was searching for, serenity and the muse. Although Dave's commercial property had incredible appeal and seemed perfectly suited to my vision dream, I needed to unearth the tranquility and unleash the muse, that almost indecipherable thing that would allow creative passion to flow. After years of urban cacophony and living a life that had been turned up to 11, I was in serious need of chill out. The difference between Vancouver and Maine is vast. Although they're only 30 kilometers and a short ferry ride apart, the sense of decompression one gets upon disembarking from the ferry onto this idyllic rock is immediate. Things slow down, noises abate, enclaves of bliss abound, and circadian rhythms tap you gently on the shoulder to remind you when it's time to eat, or whisper in your ear, lights out, time to shut her down for the day. Beaches on warm summer days offer moments of sublime delight. The sounds of happy children discovering the magic of oceanside play, 
while dogs run in slow-mo after tossed frisbees, bathed in a golden light, while gentle breezes blow in the tide's lap. I might be exaggerating a bit, but I was in that pink cloud of bliss. Forest trails and favorite mountain vistas can provide similar moments of calm and beauty. Climbing the local peak and sourcing out a secluded spot with equal parts sun-generated warmth and the serenade of trees and birds is a fabulous way to meditate. Okay, tranquility, check. Despite my earlier indecisiveness and waffling, I knew from the moment that I saw Dave's little commercial cottage that this quirky setting would provide a perfect tableau to unleash the creative inspirations which had been bottled up inside of me for some time. Whether suppressed or dormant, they were ready to come forth. My muse needed irony and diversity and a boatload of new and unique experiences which the gallery, studio, cafe, and life on Main Island would provide in spades. What tragedy and hard drinking had squelched. Sobriety, stimulus, serendipity, and synchronicity let flourish. Writing the script and setting the stage for this new play unleashed some hidden talents and gave creative energy to new roles I would be required to perform. As a creative generalist, they would be many. Finding one's muse, check. Despite the seeming perfection of Main Island and Dave's little cottage business for my needs, my indecisiveness dies hard and I needed to return to Vancouver for further pondering, worry, and excessive pensive thinking. In fairness to Dave, as the weeks slipped by and I'd not come to a firm decision, I called him to remove myself as a potential candidate for occupancy, but I couldn't get the islands or the place out of my thoughts. So I planned another trip in early July to do a final round robin of my favorite island contenders, Saturna, Pender, and Maine. Unlike Goldilocks, I have to test each bowl of porridge several times. After a year without wheels, I am seizure-free and back on the road, and it does feel good, liberating. I use my van as a camper when I am on these road trips for the convenience of being able to pull over and sleep anywhere on these accommodation-challenged islands, especially in summertime. I love all of these islands, and they each have something unique to offer. They all have their own personality, as they say. I start with Saturna as it is the most remote and will work my way back. Saturna is gorgeous and was one of my first considerations, but is sparsely populated and consequently is lacking in some key amenities. Pender is also stunning, but the cycling felt so-so and I'm not fond of some of the turns their development has taken. Each island will dish out serenity and stunning vistas by the truckload, but there was only one Dave's cottage, and that was on Maine. Fortunately, when I returned on July the 8th, it was still vacant and beckoning, and the island was still dishing out its charms, despite or perhaps because of the uptick in people enjoying their summer vacation activities. Perfect days happen, and for me here, they occur with regularity. It was on this trip that the ideas for the business were congealing, and here that I first made reference to the Shavasana Chillout project, and also germinated the name I would give to my mask-making activities, Clay and Bone. 
My thoughts, creative energy, and focus were now being absorbed by this looming commitment. It seemed there was no turning back. So a few days later, I called Dave to tell him I definitely wanted it and was ready to commit. The next day, I awoke with serious apprehension and buyer's remorse. I felt like bailing on the whole project. But I didn't. I continued my decision struggle debate internally and within the pages of my journal. March forward, explore, evolve, learn, I exhorted myself, and also from the journal. This project may provide the necessary raison d'etre to boost creative energies and passions. I would need to get in the correct mind space, I told myself, so I could experiment with the place as an incubator for website development, writing, creative space, playground, business, and the experience of living in a small community on an island. I obviously required a lot of convincing, which only I was capable of doing. The two halves of my Gemini brain were fighting it out, and finally, from the journal, if not this, what? The desire to end the search and begin the creative work was strong. I called Dave to meet up on Maine and sign the lease. I would reject the place one last time before the ink was dry. It was all set. I was to meet Dave back on Maine, the August 1st long weekend, to sign the lease and take possession. As friends were vacationing there, I came over a day early to hang out with them. Dave had given me keys to the place so I could show it to my friends and also stay there for a couple of nights. As we were all about to walk into the cottage, my soon-to-be new neighbor, Billy, came over and awkwardly injected herself into our group, acting, I suppose, as an unexpected and uninvited tour guide. Unbeknownst to me, Billy was also the de facto caretaker, cleaning lady, and security guard for the property, and also had a bunch of her stuff stored there for the interim. She was also exhibiting, as I would eventually find out, some old-fashioned island familiarity. Not to be confused with nosiness, which we city folk were just plain unaccustomed to. In a word, though, it was weird. And of course, my friends over dinner after had to remind me of this and embellish upon it. They were British, after all. She likes you, you know. She'll be over all the time. It'll be like Kathy Bates in the movie Misery. She's going to break in and tie you to your bed. And on and on and on, all in good fun. As I retired back to the cottage for the evening, the clouds had rolled in, the wind had picked up, and there was a hint of rain. It was a dark and stormy night. As I got ready for bed, there was a sharp rap on the front window. Who is it? I quailed. It's me, Billy, your next-door neighbor. With trepidation, I flung open the curtains, and there she was, face, inches from the window, wearing a bike light on her ever-present safari hat. It's blowing pretty hard out tonight, she said. Sometimes we have power outages, and you might need candles. She raised aloft a couple of candles in each hand. As I absorbed this apparition, I said, uh, I think I'm good, Billy. I have a flashlight. Thanks, though. The Brits were right. It was going to be a nightmare. This thought stuck with me overnight. It wasn't going to be a relaxing and chill experience. I was going to be pestered, hounded, 
and it would not be good. I'd be trapped in awkward encounters, badgered by my neighbor. I'd have to bail, which I did. I saw Dave for breakfast at the bakery the next morning and, rather than sign a leasing agreement, explained my apprehension and once again rejected the property. He completely understood. The deal was off. We shook hands. I left and went for a long walk in the woods and down to one of my favorite beaches and sat there staring at Mount Baker. A few turkey vultures flew overhead as the waves lapped on the beach. And then a russet-colored mink scurried over some logs nearby and stopped looking at me as if to say, don't be an idiot. You'll like it here. What else are you going to do? And then I had an epiphany. There are going to be problems, difficulties wherever you go. There's no escaping them. They are opportunities for growth and need to be confronted gently and dealt with. I can handle this, I told myself. Try it for a year, and if you don't like it, you can move on. I reconnected with Dave and explained my change of heart. Once again, because Dave is a good guy, he completely understood. We met up. I signed the lease for one year. This time, I let the ink dry. A little postscript. Billy and I have since become good friends and good neighbors. She's big-hearted, generous, and kind. We look out for one another. And she's right. It's always good to keep a supply of candles handy for those blustery nights when the power can go off. I had found Shavasana. Okay, listeners, that's the end of chapter one. Thanks so much for joining me today. And again, my name is George Bathgate, and this is The Accidental Curator. I'm starting work on episode three, which will be an interview with island artist, Famous Empty Sky. If you're interested in future episodes, you can subscribe to this podcast. And if you'd like to leave a comment, that would be great. Or share this link with someone you think may be interested. The Accidental Curator will attempt to reach out with a new episode every two or three weeks. And this will be announced through various social media channels. Stay tuned and stay safe. Thank you.